It's so good to see everybody. It's been a little better than a month now since I've seen you guys. So we're going to go ahead and get started and jump right back into where we left off. Before we do that, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and ask God to bless our time together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you pour on our lives. And, and as we've been talking here today, uh, we got a lot of struggles going on. We definitely want to lift up Lori's husband. Uh, that you're, uh, we'll be with the doctors who are taking care of him and give them the wisdom and the skills needed to help him. We pray for him and his body that you will, uh, he- help him to heal up. Uh, and, and more importantly, we pray for his soul. And we thank you for just the way that you bless our lives, the way that you watch over us, the way that you take care of us, and the many blessings that you pour on our lives. Uh, one of those blessings being your word, your promise, your truth, something that lasts well beyond our problems. Um, or even our own breath, uh, the flower fades, but the word of uh, the Lord endures forever. So we seek to know you through that word today, and we just ask to you, Holy Spirit, that you will help us to do so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Does anybody know the um, the motto for the Marine Corps? Uh, <laughs> Hoorah. Hoorah. We need a few good men. No, not a few good no, men. It's uh, Semper Fidelis. Semper Fi. Semper Fi, do or die. Right? Semper Fidelis is Latin. Semper is always, and Fidelis is faithful. Right? Oh. Uh, so Semper Fidelis yeah. means to be always faithful. Um, the shirt I'm wearing today is Proteos Pistos, which means God is faithful, the faithful one. God is faithful. And so today, we're going to take another motto from the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts. Anybody know what the Boy Scouts motto is? Be prepared. Be prepared. <laughs> All right. And so in Latin, that term is semper paratus. Semper paratus. Always prepared. And uh, I'm going to start the class before we read the text. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 59 today. Luke 12, 35 through 59. Before we do that, I want to read a quote to you that really spoke to me earlier this week. And I want you to kind of help me to, to break this down and see what the, the uh, pastor is saying in this quote. This is from a, a Puritan pastor named William Perkins from back in the day. And this is what it said. The persuasions of long life move many to give themselves to the sins and the vanities of the world excessively. We must shake off this vain persuasion and every day prepare ourselves for death and for the day of judgment. All right, let me read that one more time and then we're going to figure out what he's saying. The persuasions of a long life move many to give themselves to the sins and vanities of this world excessively. We must shake off this vain persuasion and every day prepare, there's that word, prepare ourselves for death and for the day of judgment. All right, so what's he saying? Um, we all are subject to um, sin. We're all subject to sin. We're all capable of falling into heavy uh, doses of sin, right? Right. right? Yeah. All the sin that comes short of the glory of God. And even as children of God, we do fall. There's no doubt about that. Like We struggle with it. The difference in a child of God and a child of the world is, is that a child of God does struggle with sin. Like We don't just embrace it and go wholeheartedly headlong into it. We struggle and fight with it. What about struggling to, um, within yourself to please God? Like, like you feel like you never do enough? And well, that's, that's just the sin of pride, isn't it? Because it's not what we do. That's, but how can that, I do better? We trust him more and rely less on what we're doing and trust more in what he's done for us. 
we rely on His grace. If God is dependent on what you do, then it's no longer grace. It's your works that please mm-hmm. God. And you'll yeah. still fail. Right. But just knowing that you failed, that feeling you, of inadequacy. you can yeah. always repent on it. Well, as a child of God, as a child of God, we need to understand that our adequacy comes in Christ and what he's done, not us. So when the Father looks down upon us, the child of God, he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Remember, it's Christ's work on the cross. It's Christ's life that he lived that provides us our righteousness, not ours. All right? Uh, so um, if that, ina- that feeling of inadequacy drives me to the cross and to trust in him more, then it's a good thing. If that feeling of inadequacy is driving me to be, I got to do better, I got to do better, I got to do better, then... Well, so, you know, like, like I get so tired, you know, and... I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Am I doing something wrong? But you're right. It's worse. It's not me. God God knows what's going to happen. So uh, let's start with that first sentence. The persuasion of a long life gives many... Uh, uh, moves many to give themselves to sin and vanity. The pers- yeah, we we think. Not only do we think that we have like all the time in the world, but we also think that life runs in cycles, doesn't it? We feel like things go in circles, don't they? That life is cyclical. Well, the reality is life is not cyclical. Life is linear. It goes from the time you're born till the time you die. And we get caught up in these cycles thinking we've got all the time in the world when in reality we're inevitably moving towards the end. We are. So, <laughs> eternity past, eternity future, and you have been dropped on that timeline somewhere in between eternity past and eternity future. And that time that you have is, is a set limit, is it not? But we feel like we have all the time in the world. And so by by thinking that we have all this time, we give ourselves over to sin and vanity of this world. You see how that works? Think about kids. You can't tell a kid nothing, can you? No. They got hard heads and, and they wind up getting their teeth kicked in because they have to learn on their own. And we think that we have all the time in the world when we don't. Now, he says this, we must shake off this vain persuasion. The word vanity or vain means empty and meaningless. All right. So we need to realize that we do not have all the time in the world. That in the end, you're going to stand and be judged for every thought, word, and action, every deed that you committed in the time allotted to you by God. And that every breath that you have is a gift from God and it needs to be used to glorify God and to live for others like that's what we're supposed to do so we must shake off this vain persuasion and every day prepare ourselves for death and for the day of judgment why why would he why would this pastor warn us of this what would be the point of that you know i want to thank you god forever and keep on sinning keep on sinning okay never know if you wake up tomorrow you know yeah people think they got all this time and have you ever noticed that it's in times of dire crisis that we truly rely on God. Like when things are going our way, when the bills are paid, when I got a little bit of help and a little change in my pocket going jingling, I don't tend to depend upon God as much. But when I get into times of crisis, things get serious, don't they? And that also reiterates the importance of Sunday worship. Because we can, things can be going along and we kind of just put God on the side, but 
when you make it a point to go to his house and worship him with the church family, you're putting him in front again at least that once a week. Most certainly. But it also points us to the fact that we need to worship him every day. Every day. So Paul uses the term, our conversation needs to be holy. Now, he's not just talking about the word you say. In the Bible, the word conversation means the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you live. You're living your life before others. Right. So your actions are speak louder than your words, right? So in the Bible, when Paul uses the term conversation, he's talking about who you are. And so our lesson today is called Be Prepared. We need to live every day preparing for the end. We need to live every day preparing for the reality that one day we will stand before God and answer for this life that we've been given. Okay? So, but that in mind, yes, sir, you had something you want to say? Yeah, I do want to say there's a scripture that says, um, yes. tomorrow is promised to no man, therefore prepare to meet your maker. Yeah. <laughs> tomorrow is promised to no one, therefore prepare to meet your maker. So, you can understand that in the context of our lesson day, what we're going to read in the scriptures, we're going to realize that. Jesus is warning us that as members of his kingdom, that we need to live every day preparing for eternity. Uh-huh. Live every day you preparing for eternity. Fail, but you got to recognize the sin that you okay. Every day. All right. So each let's. One of, each and every one of us, we, we judge. Each and every one of us. Yeah. Because the thought is just as bad as the deed. Okay, so let's go ahead and we're going to look at, again, we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 59 today, but I want to start by looking at verses 35 through 48, okay? Let's look and see what it says. It says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert. When he comes truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this. That if the head of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming and begin to beat the slaves, both the men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. 
But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask the more. All right. So let's go through and break this down. Jesus is warning us to be ready. In some of your Bibles, in that verse, verse 35, it says, gird up your loins. In the, in the translation I'm using, it said, be dressed in readiness. And to gird up your loins, remember they would wear these draping clothes over their legs, and to gird up your loins means to pull up the, the pants legs to a position where you can run or fight. Okay? If you had this long flowing robe on and you try to fight or run with a long flowing robe on, what's gonna happen? You're gonna trip and fall. So to gird up your loins means to pull yourself up and prepare yourself for battle or flight. Be ready. Get ready. So he says, uh, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Now, what do we think of when we think of lamps? Sorry. Being, able to see Being able to see, having a light for the darkness. Remember what Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Remember in our past classes in this class, we've learned that Jesus told us, to keep our lamps lit, to be a light to the world. Remember? The nation of Israel, all through the Old Testament, as you read about the nation of Israel, God chose them to be a light, to show His glory and honor to all of the world. And not to hide it under a basket. And not to hide, but what did the Jews do? Instead of using God's light to share with the world, they used it to shine upon themselves and said, Oh, look at me. You see? Right? So, he's telling us to be ready to keep our lamps lit. And he says then, um, in verse 36, Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from a wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Okay? Uh, so, a master returning from a wedding feast, open when he knocks. We've heard that in the past before, haven't we? To the one, uh, uh, it says, knock and he will... Answer, right? And so what do we think of when we see, think of somebody knocking on the door? Who could that be? Yeah, who is that? Who's that knocking on the door? What do we do? We open the door to see who it is. And so one of the things we're going to see in this text as we're, we're reading through is we're going to notice the master and slave relationship. Now, when we think of slavery in today's terms, we often think of the negative connotations of slavery, right? But in the Bible, we are taught that Jesus is the master and that we are his slaves. The Apostle Paul constantly uses a term, Paul, the bond servant of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard that statement before? Paul, the bond servant of Jesus Christ. Well, do you know what a bond servant is? Somebody signed over to somebody? Yes, yeah, a slave. So Paul, Paul considered himself a slave to Jesus Christ. And remember what Jesus promises us. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So when we think of slavery, we think of bondage. When we think of slavery in modern connotations, we think about people being shackled, sold on, a, on an auction block, beaten with whips. Right? We, that's the kind of connotation we think of when we think of slavery. But in the Bible, in being slaves to Christ, we need to understand that by yielding our will over to His will, 
we truly become free. Think about in your own lives and your struggles with drugs and alcohol. You are a slave to your addiction. And you could not get away from it, could you? And what was it doing? It was killing you. But a person who is a slave to Jesus Christ is one who has been set free to serve God and others, not himself. Okay? So as we read through this passage today, we need to really focus on this master to slave relationship. Because if I am in Christ, I am his servant and he is my master. And by serving him, I truly find the freedom that this world can never give me. You see how that works? So, let's look at this, and it says in verse 37, Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert. What does it mean to be alert? Ready. Ready, prepared. Focus. Right? When he comes, truly I say to you, he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table, and he will come and wait upon them. So it's saying that this master is going to come, and those who are on the alert, the master is going to come in and serve them. It immediately makes me think of the picture. Do y'all remember the night before Jesus went to the cross? What did he do? Yeah, he clothed himself in humility. He clothed himself with a towel. And he squatted down and washed their feet. And what did Peter say? Oh, no, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. Then wash all of me. Right. And what did Peter? And what did you say, Peter? If I don't wash you, you have nothing to do with me. And he said, Well, then wash me all over. Like, make sure I'm clean. But Peter's rejection, his harshness to Jesus washing his feet. Why was that? Because he didn't think he's worthy. Yeah, he didn't think he was, he thought he was inadequate. See? We all. So when God offers when when God offers His grace to us, we are inadequate. It's the very reason we need that grace. And yet in our nature, in our natural fallenness, we don't want God's help. I'll do it. Yeah. So, we need to understand that we must be prepared. We need to understand that He will come. He's going to knock. There's going to come a day when you're going to be called home. Not only that, but not only in the eschaton in the end of time kind of view there are times when god calls upon us on a daily basis to do things and we need to be prepared to do those so one of the things that we need to understand is is that all of this these parables all of these teachings that jesus is teaching us right now is teaching us about life in the kingdom and we've talked about this over and over again in our class what is the kingdom what is a kingdom the king's what? Domain. Domain. It's where he's the ruler. And his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's part of the Lord's Prayer. But the reality is God's kingdom has always been. It is now and it will be. Forever. And that kingdom, the reality of that kingdom is a present reality. It is now and it is not yet. So that kingdom is being established all around you. And if you are a child of God, that kingdom is being established within you. And we need to be prepared to serve in that kingdom on a daily basis. We need to be prepared to do that. So he says in verse 38, whether he comes in the second watch or even the third watch and find them, blessed are those slaves. 
the slave that is found doing what he was called to do when the master comes is a blessed slave. Right? What is it that we hear on the final day? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? Yeah. And so to be prepared means to realize that one day we will all stand and be critiqued for what we've done. And we need to live every day being prepared for that reality. Okay, now back to our quote that we had earlier in the class. Remember what that pastor told us. Remember what he said. The persuasion of long life moves many to give themselves over to sins and vanity of this world. We must shake off this vain persuasion and every day prepare ourselves for death and for the day of judgment. Remember we talked about how when things are going really well, we really don't think about God being over us and taking care of us but boy when the medical uh, reports come in uh, when our loved ones get hurt get sick when we struggle with disease and death those are the times that we go uh oh like this could be it and it's those times that we really get serious with God isn't it it's the time that we pray it's the time that we read our Bible it's the time that we go to church and really listen to what the pastor's saying it's the times that we are humble and broken and realizing our need of our Master. And what Jesus is trying to teach us here is, is that we need to live in that reality every day. As opposed to embracing the world, we embrace the kingdom. You see how that works? Yeah. What kind of my mind? A scripture that says, Be not conformed to this world, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, again, if God is in us, He needs to be coming out of us. We need to be a light to the world. We need to be the ones that allow the world to know Christ through our our conversation. What did we say the conversation was? I want that to be one of our sticking points today. What is your conversation? It's the way we walk, the way we present Good. ourselves. It's your walk, your talk, your action. Your conversation is who you are to the world around you. And that makes Jesus undeniable to folks outside looking in, outside right. of us. Right. It makes Jesus undeniable. Right. All right. So... When verse 38, it says whether he comes in the second watch or the third watch and find him so blessed or no slave. What is the point of when he, if he comes in the first watch or the second watch or the third watch? What is the point of that? Why is Jesus telling us that? Because we might give up. We might think it's been too long. It's too long. We don't know when he's coming. He may come. It may be later when he comes. Right, I know a lot of people that live their life thinking that the rapture's coming and that they just don't have to do anything else now. That Jesus is just gonna come snatch us out of all of our trouble. And the reality is, is that we, if we live with that mindset, we bury all of our loved ones, and eventually they bury us. And the rapture didn't take place, did it? And you didn't do nothing. And you think, well, is he ever gonna come? But the reality is, God's timing is God's timing. And when he comes for us, it may be on an individual basis. He may call and say, it's time for you to come home. But we don't know when that's going to be. And we need to live our lives with that expectancy that today could be the day. What's he talking to apostles or just everybody? We're going to see that in just a second. So 
in verse 39 it said, but be sure that this, if the head of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. All right. We, we've seen that, that thief in breaking into the house stuff before in Jesus' parables. Remember the one parable where he said that he, uh, before you can go in and plunder the, the strong man's house, you had, or you had to go bind the strong man before you What? Why? Because a man is not just going to let you come into his house right. and take all of his possessions. All right, so it says that when the thief comes, if the owner of the house was prepared, the thief wouldn't have got away with it. What it, What is the emphasis here? Now, Jesus is not a thief. He's not a, uh, a stealer. Right. He's not a stealer. He doesn't come in and steal. Mm-hmm. But what is the point? What doesn't apply anymore. So what? What, what is the what is the point that he's trying to make here? We do have to be on guard against the evil one, but this says whether he comes in the first watch, second watch, uh, if the head of the house had known that the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. So right. So how many of us are caught unexpectedly when God calls for us? Whether it be in, right, right, sure. Whether in death or in just this is your time to serve. This is your time to be a light for me. And we get caught off guard. Why? Because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Because we're living our lives caught up in this world and not we're living for the kingdom of, of the temporal so, age instead of the, the kingdom of self instead of for the kingdom of God. Good. So he says this: You two be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not expect. So who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Jesus. And who's talking to him right there? Jesus. But this is saying that he will come in an hour when no one expects. So there is a sense in which he comes. He's there right then. But there's also a sense when on the last day he comes too, right? And what day is that? The day of the Lord. Judgment day. The day when he comes. And no one knows when that is going to be. But we need to live our lives expectantly that that day could be today. If we live our lives soberly like that, then we will live soberly. I'm not just talking about alpha drugs and alcohol. I'm talking about the, uh, living our lives um, being conformed to His will and not our own. You see? So He's telling us to, what is the title of our lesson today? Be what? Semper paratus? Be, be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. That's the Boy Scouts motto. It should be our motto as Christian. Be always prepared that He is coming. Yeah. All right. Now, it says this in verse 41. Here's what uh, Michael just asked. Michael's a good Catholic, so he's a, uh, Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? Mm. All right. So what is Peter saying? Who are you talking to? Are you talking to us mm-hmm. or are you talking to everybody else? Well, what's the answer? Before we read the answer, what is the answer? For all. Everybody. It's for everybody. The Jew and the Gentile, right? Yeah, good. So the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants and give them their ration at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds doing so when he comes. Truly he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But I say to the slave who says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and to drink and to get drunk, the master of that slave will come in a day when he does not know, and uh, he does not expect him, and in an hour when he does not know, and he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. 
So Jesus is talking to all. But the message is specifically focused to who? The believer. An assignment place to the unbeliever. So what is this? Is he talking about a believer that's not doing right? No, that's not him a place with the unbelievers. Right. All right, good. The Lord just asked a very important question. Here's the reality. If the faith within you is a living faith, then you are a believer, right? Are there people that say that they believe and do not do? All kinds. Mm -hmm. Yes. So our conversation, again, what we say, what we do, what we think, what we feel, how we act, is a reflection of what we believe. Uh-huh. Some people, though, just seem like they can't understand. They're not capable of understanding what Jesus wants us to do. I mean, right. And in most cases, there, there is definitely, we are dead in trespass sin before he gives us the heart of faith. We don't believe, and we can't believe. But when God begins to work in your heart, you begin to have your eyes open to the truth and reality. So we're either believers or we're unbelievers. What is going to be the clear indication that I'm a believer? Your actions. My conversation. Who I am. Right? How many times have you heard this? Well, the reason I don't go to church is because there ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites at church. Have you heard that? Have you ever said that before? I've said it before. Well, the reality is hypocrites in the movie theater and the bowling alley and the mall and and the bar. Big hypocrites in the world bar. But that didn't stop us from going to those places, does it? Right? The reality is the reason people don't want to go to church is because they're condemned. Now, one of the things that Jesus is warning here is that if you truly are a child of God, you have a responsibility to be a light to the world around you. And woe to that slave who the master finds comes and he's not doing what he's supposed to do. You see? So the warning is to the believer, because look what he said there in verse um, 45. If that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves. Who are the slaves? Other believers. Both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, right? What is a person doing who's eating, drinking, and getting drunk? Is there, Lori, you're having lunch right now. Is it a sin for you to eat? No. Is it a sin for you to have that Mountain Dew and drink? No. Oh, well, if you were a Mormon, it would be because it's got caffeine in it, right? And you're not supposed to drink. <laughs> but I'm not a Mormon. But you're not a Mormon, so it's okay for you to drink a Mountain Dew. So is there anything in, in itself sinful about having lunch or drinking a, a Mountain Dew? Eating pork. No. Right, or eating a pork sandwich, eating a bacon sandwich, right? No. Eating eat a baconator from Wendy's. All right, so I'm confused. All right, so. There's no bacon in there. Right. But he says that this person is eating and drinking and getting drunk. All right. So. That's the kicker, getting drunk. That's mind-altering, taking your mind off of the Lord. You should not be getting drunk. Even though there's what is the point he's meaning when he's saying eating and drinking and getting drunk is is that person is living for the physical he's living for right. his it's physicalness yeah. he's living for his carnal nature things that look good, smell good, taste good, sound. He's living a sensual life. Remember we've used that term before. Sensuality is a, is a work of the flesh. And a sensual person is someone who chases after things that look good, smell good, taste good, sound good, and feel good. Right? Is there anything in the world wrong with enjoying, uh, uh, you know, a, nice a good shower. hot shower? Right? A good hot shower. No. That feels good. 
When you get out of the shower, you feel good. You feel nice and clean. There ain't anything wrong with that. No. But when we do things to indulge our carnal nature, we are being sensual. When we are, when we are rejecting the, our, the command to live within the kingdom realm by going out and living in a carnal way, living for the temporary things of this world, then we're being a sensual person. Remember, Eve turned from the truth of God and turned to something that looked good, smelled good, sounded good, tasted good, and felt good. So if you take a shower with a girl, you're not living. That's right. All right, my it's way. not your wife. Yeah, yeah that's good. All right. Okay. So to take a shower, it feels nice, right? But to chase after a shower with a with a significant someone who's not your own, that's a problem. You see, you're living in adultery. So that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about someone who goes in and indulges their carnal nature. Who's living for self and not for God. What is he doing? He's beating the slaves. And he's indulging his own flesh. He's living for himself and not for God. So when they say that you'll be placed with the un- find a place with the unbelievers, that's not a believer that's lost his salvation. Right. That's not a believer who lost salvation. It's a someone who is professed is someone who, who is professed to be, be a believer. But their actions are showing that they're really not. Well, some people are actually fooled into that. Right now, thinking they're is the is it possible for a true believer to fall into those type of indulgences? I think so. Yeah. Yes, it very much so. Well, you still don't lose your All salvation. Right. But what is the point of the message that Jesus teaches us? Yeah, be to what? Be a true believer. Be prepared. Be diligent. Stop living your life that way. Stop living for yourself and live for others. Stop beating the slave. Stop indulging your carnal nature and live for God and others. Remember what is the greatest command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and to love your neighbors as yourself. So you are commanded in this kingdom to live for God and others, not for yourself. That's another, everything works together. It's another reason to be a member of a church because your church family can help keep you accountable when you start to slip like that. There's no doubt about it. chaplain used to say he would hate to have to go see Jesus with a needle hanging out his arm. Yep. (laughs) That would be pretty terrible. And it says uh, in verse 47, the slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. So the truth of the matter is, is that there are unbelie- there are true believers who relapse and die with a needle in their arm. And then what happens? And then they will stand and answer for what they've done with the grace that God has given them, will they not? Yeah. Look what he says. But the one who did not know and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. For everyone who has been given much, will much will be required. And to the one who much has been entrusted, they will be asked all the more. It's so the, the, the one who does not know and falls in ignorance will not be punished in the same way that the one who does know and falls yeah, in rebellion. Okay. So the one who falls in ignorance will be punished, but not as severely as the one who knows and falls in rebellion. Like in a willful, not an ignorance, but a willful <clears throat> act. So... Remember the parable Jesus talks about how he gave, uh, he had these slaves and he gives each one of them a certain amount of money and mm-hmm. then he goes away and when he comes back he asks them, okay, what did you do with what I've given you? And remember, one had five and he turned it into ten. One had three, he turned it into three. One had one and he went and buried it. He said, I didn't want to lose what you gave me because I knew you're, that a you, you're a mean man, you know, <laughs> and I didn't want to lose what you've given me. 
Well, the point is, is that God's grace is poured out on His children, and that grace can be poured out uh, in extreme ways to some people, in ways that you would be like, "Well, that's not fair." Remember, He gave another parable about how the people that went out working in the in the field, and then one came and only worked one hour, and one worked all day, and they all got the same amount of pay, right? And the one that only the one that worked hard was like, "Wait a minute." Right. But you but you sound like here here's here's the thing that I'm questioning here is that salvation isn't permanent like any action you do peels you away from Christ. I mean any yeah, wrong right. action, you know what I'm saying that that oh I'm going to be saved again or something like that or or you know I'm lost now. Does that make any sense? So that's my that was the point I was getting to about being put with the unbelievers. It sounds like a believer is being put with the unbelievers because of the thing that he did. Well, the, and that's not possible, is it? So, no, it's on the last day the sheep will be separated from the goats. The sheep will be the believers, and the goats are the non-believers. Yeah, but it's possible for a believer, like like Mike was saying, to die with a needle in their arm. It's possible for a believer. Is God going to forgive them? He still has to answer for that. But is salvation gone because of he made a mistake? No, he a person does not lose their salvation, but they can lose their joy in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And they will one day stand and answer for what they've done with the grace that God has poured on them. And so, the I'm law of that, I've done a lot, but I the law condemns <laughs> us. The law condemns us. But the Spirit of God and His grace should convict us. Before it should. We do. It should drive us to the cross. It should. It should drive us to a complete reliance on His grace, His power, His will, right, so and not our own. Fall again. And so that we don't fall again. And so we continually fall. Right. So yeah. what it? So what would it look like? What do we know that He is warning us as true believers? To, what is the title of our lesson again today? Be prepared. Live your life in such a way that every day you are prepared to stand. And I have a note that I wrote here years ago. Okay. And it says, being prepared reduces anxiety. (laughs) But there you go. Being prepared reduces anxiety. All right, so we have, he says, um, so we need to understand that we need to live our lives in such a way that we are living before God and before the world around us. And that we will be accountable for the way that we live our lives. And that God will come and God will return and we should live every day. Almost sounds like there's a purgatory, doesn't it? Yeah, there is. All right. So, again, before we get into into our last passage here, let me again remind you of that quote from William Perkins. The persuasions of a long life move many to give themselves over to the sins of vanity and this world excessively. We must shake off this vain, vain persuasion and every day prepare ourselves for death and for the day of judgment. We get so caught up in the trivial things of this world around us and what we're going to eat today and what we're going to wear and, and who's wearing this and who's eating that and who sent this text and who forwarded this and, and, and this is what social media is saying today and this is what Washington's doing and this is what, this is happening and this is going on and technology says this and, and my best sports hero is doing this. We get so caught up in all of the trivialities of this life 
that we lose sight of the fact that the kingdom is being established before our very eyes. And if we're a part of that kingdom, we should be living for that kingdom and not for the kingdom of this world. And so God is warning us to be, Jesus is warning us to be prepared in this world that we're living in. You're going to be held accountable. You're going to be held accountable for who you are. And not only that, that every breath that you have is a gift from God. And every breath that you've been given, this could be the last one. And if we live our lives with that sober reality, think about times in your life. I, I can think of times in my life. I think of a specific time in my life when I really truly got a medical diagnosis. I thought I was dead. Like I really thought I was going to die. And for the next, I don't know, two years, I was so sober. And, not, and I'm not talking about no drugs, no alcohol. I'm talking about so living in the reality that my life is temporal. Mm-hmm. Living in the reality that this could be the last day. Living in the reality that the things that I have done and the things that I have said and the way that I have treated other people around me had eternal impact. It well, was say just, that again. The, way, the things that I said to other people, the way that I treated other people, the way that I lived my life had an eternal impact. I, you know, the realization of that came with the, you know, with the, with the diagnosis. The, the a diagnosis that this could be your last yeah. day. And that's the that's what he's saying here. He's saying, guys, you need to be ready. This could be your last day. You need to live your lives with an understanding that there are there is an eternity out there. That has been given to the children of God, and we need to live in this temporal world with that eternal view in mind. Well, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. We should be prepared to do that every day. It's just that we get all the little distractions Plus that, are, that are not in themselves sinful, but they keep just drop, pulling us over here, you know, and over there, and next thing you know, you hadn't. You know, well, we'll do Bible study tomorrow. Yeah, well, the reality is, is that anything that draws us away from Christ and His kingdom is simple. simple. Yeah. But you do get criticism from people in the world because they're like, why do you pray? Why do you go to church? What's the best? What's the Very best? true. And we're going to see that here in just a second. We're going to see that, what you're bringing up. But here's another thing. How many times has somebody looked at your life and said, well, if that was what a Christian is, why would I even want to be that? <laughs> are, are you with me? Like, I can tell you that there's been, I've lived my life in such a way that there are people out there in this world that be like, well, if that's what a Christian is, why would I ever want to be that? Okay, good. Now let's get to the point that you're making there. Uh, let's look at, uh, let's look at the last 10 uh, verses. Uh, this is Luke 12, verse 49 to 59. I have come to cast fire upon, upon the earth. And how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I have come to grant peace on the earth? I tell you no, but rather division. From now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. There will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother-in-law, and and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. 
And he was saying this to the crowd. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say it will be hot that day. And it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky. But why don't you analyze this present time? And why do you not even of your own initiative judge what is right? For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate on your way there, you make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the officers and the officers throw you in prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the last cent. So let's look at this first five verses, verse 49 to 54 there. It says, I've come to cast a fire on earth. Now, when we think of fire and God casting fire on earth, what are you thinking of? times. Uh, when they, uh, I mean, the Israel rebelled against him yeah, on Mount good. Sinai. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, we think of God's impending judgment that's going to come and burn this earth up. All right? I've come to cast fire. How I wish it was already kindled. Uh, why? Why? Because when that fire is cast, God's judgment is going to be poured out and there's going to be no questions asked anymore. Like God is a just God. And his justice will be poured out. And what did you say? I'll be happy when that happens. Why? Because God's justice will reign in the hearts of all. And he says this, but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. So baptism, uh, Jesus humbled himself and became a man and walked among us and died on a cross to save us. And he has to go through that. But look at verse 51. Do you suppose that I come to grant peace on this earth? I tell you no, but rather division. So God's truth comes to this word not to bring peace, but to divide. What do you think He's dividing? He's separating the, the, the sheep from the, sheep the goats. He's so through He's His doing death. That now, as we got yes. so many wackos out there. So His death on the wow. cross. Why did they nail Him to the cross? Because He came proclaiming truth, and they rejected that truth. So they proved that they were not of truth by killing the Son of Man, by killing the Son of God. And today in this world, that proclamation is being preached. The gospel is being preached all around. And what's happening? Some are believing. The majority yeah, are not. He just got arrested when they were having a drag show for, in front of children in a park. And he was reading the Bible. And the, the one reading the Bible got arrested. Yep. So. They were having a drag show for children. You know, A drag they, show? Yeah. Oh. They were dancing. It was really oh, Okay. Okay. And the young, it was a young man, a teenager, reading the Bible. And they arrested him. <laughs> All right. He wasn't even 18. But suppose I came to grant peace on him. No, I tell you, but rather division. So he's separating darkness from light, love from hate, truth from lies, good from evil, the sheep and the goats. Right? He's, that, there's a, as his truth is proclaimed in the world around us, there's a division taking place. Well, I feel good about where my heart's at, but what I've done doesn't reflect that. <laughs> but I've loved God my whole life, you know. All right. Do you suppose I can come to grant peace? Verse 52. From now on, there's going to be division in households. Mothers against fathers, fathers against mothers, sons against uh, sons against fathers, and daughters against mothers, etc. Et what does he mean by that? Why is it? What do you? What does he mean that he's going to? There's going to be division, and even in households. Somebody accept that. Some people don't. 
That's, that, that's in almost probably every household there is. And if you have a believer in there, I mean, you can have two that are believers, but you start having a family, and you're going to have kids that rebel. Okay. Well, if it's the I mean, that's what we get, didn't we? Transgender, their parents don't agree with it. You know, that's division. So the, that is real division. So there's there's a there's a um, there's a reality yeah. in that that just because you are a member of a family does not necessarily mean that you are a believer, right? Right. So your faith is not something that's genetically passed on to you. I wish it was. Right. Mm-hmm. The only thing we passed God on is... God did promise, and I pray this a lot because of my, my two adult sons. God did promise I will be a God to you and your children. And I remind him of that. Well, I do. Yeah, but God I, of that or your son. I, I, I remind God of his word. All right, but, <laughs> and look what it says, though. So that's in Acts. Uh, he used to fight it a lot, didn't he? And he, it says, he God, time. he will be a God to you and to your children and to, it's Acts 2. Is it Acts 2? Let me see that passage because a lot of people forget their promise, and I pray for their salvation. And we should, and you should pray for your children's salvation. There's no doubt about that. But nobody, let's they look at that passage. Acts two. They're not saved. Not mature in the right. Look at Acts. This is Acts two thirty nine. Peter said to them, "Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." For the promise, the promise what? What is the promise? Eternal life. Salvation. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. That's the entire passage. Mm -hmm. So the guarantee is not that all of your kids will be saved. The guarantee is, is that all that the Lord is calling to himself will be saved. Look at that passage again. It's Acts 2.39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God calls to himself. So who's the one that's going to call Acts people one, to salvation? The Lord. The Lord. But the Lord. Isn't that, isn't, I mean, that's really scary that your children may not be saved. That is horrific. Wait, it's horrific if God is not a good God. He is a good God. Alright, but so is everybody going to be saved? No. No. But whose hands but is how, that? How are folks supposed to be joyful and happy in heaven knowing that their children are burning in hell? Because the God of our Creator is good and He does He always does what is right. Your salvation was in God's hands, not yours. Thank goodness. And He saved you. And it was all of His grace. It wasn't because your parents were Christians. It wasn't because you were a good girl. It was because you were a gift to the Son from the Father. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Your responsibility as a parent is to live out your salvation before your children. Your uh, responsibility to your children is to share the gospel with them, to raise them up in a fear and admonition of the Lord. And your most importantly, your responsibility as a child of God and a parent to these kids is to give their eternal destiny over to the one who controls it. Let him handle it. And he will. Still scary. To the purgatory. <laughs> right? A fear of the Lord is the beginning of a wisdom. To understand that it is God that is in control of our salvation is very important. 
So. Well, I know that he didn't get to. I mean, I get like, that. Like, but I also feel like that was a promise. So I was wrong. Uh, no, the promise. So the promise of eternal life is for you and my children and your children and all who are far off. So he's preaching to a bunch of Jews. Remember at Pentecost, it's all Jewish people there. Who are the ones that are far off? That's you. So that promise. Oh, the ones that hadn't been born yet. Yeah, yeah, the ones that are far off, the Gentiles, the ones who have not been introduced to the kingdom yet, and to all. Who God will call to Himself. I, I was 48, so my son's... How, how, many, how many people are going to be saved that God calls to Himself? All of them. 144,900. Right. All of them. <laughs> and whose responsibility is to call? His. How does He call them? Through the means of grace that He's given us. Prayer. Right. The preaching of the gospel. So, yeah, it's his. So my But you know that it. seems to be counter uh, counter against what we just were talking about because if you know we have to we have to fortify ourselves and every day work to be Christ-like. And when we slip, we're not. And if he's called you, he may have, or if you're not, he may have. But the decision is like. His, and it's like okay, the decision is his. Whether I try or not, I want to be in. But I know it's not that way. Does that make any sense? Yes. If but he, if he had really called me, I would try. Right. If he, if, so it's then it seems like it's transferred. You try and try and try, and, try and, some, and it just don't. Well, the responsibility, the, the responsibility. If he is at work in you, then you will work. And it's not because you have to work; it's because he is at work in you. And not only that, but if you realize, if you truly realize that salvation is in God's hands, then you also must realize that God has means that He uses to bring about salvation. What are those means? The preaching of the gospel. Prayer. Fellowship. Right? Uh, uh, so, he, the reason that you became a child of God is because someone shared His Word with you and the Word of God and the Spirit of God worked to bring you to the salvation. Your responsibility is to share that with who? Everybody, you can. everybody, even with your children specifically, well, right? I have. And so, why is it? Why is it that I should share the gospel with all? Because you feel it's your responsibility, which it is. You're it, it, not that you feel it is your responsibility. Okay. That is the means that God uses to bring salvation about. But not only that, you don't know who it is that He's going to call. Right. So, what do you do? You Go send the call out to all and let God, let God call lead him out. God call to himself. Let him separate the sheep and the goats. Right? Right? My sheep know my voice. Okay. So let's finish up because we, we got like two minutes left and we got to be done. It says, look at this in verse 54 through 59. 
Uh, he was also saying to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say, oh, shower's coming. Now, we live in South Georgia. We know that this afternoon it's probably going to pour down rain and somebody in the neighborhood is going to lose their lights, right? Why? Because every summer it gets hot and it rains here and we get lightning that storms, right? We're fixing to come up, unfortunately, on hurricane season and they're going to tell us how we're going to die like 65 times between now and uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> the the storm's coming, right? Right? Yeah. Hottest just the hottest, ever. it's the hottest year ever. Uh, this is the most days we've had over a hundred and blah, blah, blah. Right. Not only that, but, but they'll say something like this. Uh, the, uh, it feels like temperature. Mm-hmm. Right. That's well, no. They want to sell their it feels change. like. It feels like. No. You know what go, whatever that thermometer says, that's how hot it is, and that's exactly. what that feels like. Yeah. But look what he's saying. He's saying you know how to look at the weather forecast and know to get in and out of the rain, and to, when the lightning is flashing, you don't go out and play on the golf course. Like you have the common sense to be able to tell when it's hot and when it's cold, when the weather is going to change. You you can look at the skies around you and tell what the cloud, what the weather is going to do. And yet, with all of these physical things going on around you, you don't see the kingdom of God being established before your very eyes. You you have the ability to see the temporal kingdom around you and predict what's going to happen in it. And yet you know you have been taught what the kingdom of God looks like, and yet you don't prepare for it. So think about that. You have pastors going around preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand and that today is the day of salvation. Repent and be baptized. You have people going around and preaching and saying today could be the day that God comes back and judges the world, and people could care less. But you let a storm get going down in Bermuda, and everybody goes to Walmart and buys all the batteries up. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? They're preparing for a storm that's coming. They evacuate and get out of town. But yet God's saying, the time is coming when you're going to stand before God and be judged. Prepare yourself for that. Prepare yourself because you don't know. You don't know. And so anytime it can happen. Right. Right. But what he's saying is is that in the same way that there are temporal signs for the weather, Mm -hmm. there are... Signs that you should be able to see now that we would warn you that the kingdom is coming. Well, the Bible says it is. Yeah. I mean, they've been predicting it for hundreds of years. There have been preachers who are saying, it's coming on so-and-so date and all this kind of stuff. It comes and goes and they say, well, I miscalculated. (laughs) All right, so let's close with two thoughts and a prayer. Remember, be prepared. That's the point that he's making in this passage. Number two, we need to realize that we have a conversation to make. Your conversation is your walk, your talk, your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, who you are before the world around you. And Jesus is warning us to live our conversation in such a way that we are constantly aware of the reality of the eternal kingdom that is here and that is coming. Amen. All right. Father, thank you for this time you've given us together. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you uh, for the promise of salvation that we have. And Lord, we, we thank you that that salvation is in your hand and not ours. And so we do. We pray for our children. We pray for our families, our lost loved ones. We pray for them and lift them to you and say, please be merciful to them in the same way that you were merciful to us. Because it's only through your grace that we can know that salvation. I also pray for everyone in this room that if they do know you, if they know your salvation, 
Help us to live that out before the world around us. Help us to live soberly and vigilantly. Help us to be a light to a world who is certainly drowning in darkness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.